Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Unfollowing Mum. Thank you so much for being here. Today I have a really exciting guest who's going to share her lived experience story with us. She is Gemma Wilson, somebody I have met online. Hi Gemma. Hiya. Hi, how are you today? I'm good, thank you. Good. Can you tell us a bit about who you are and what you are going to chat about today? (laughs) I can. I'm not that interesting. I'm so sorry. But I am Gemma Wilson, as you've just said. Uh, I used to be a blogger, which is how I come across you, Harriet. That life for me didn't quite work. So now I'm still trying to write things. And I am an amateur photographer as well. I live in Kent. I have two children. uh, A nine-year-old girl and a 13-year-old teenager boy. (laughs) Oh, it's that. Oh, they're a teenager now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, I live with them, just them and my puppy, who is a nightmare, but keeps us all on our toes. Don't tell me that. I've got puppy fever. I want a puppy. I'd say do it. They're cute, but he's... (laughs) his effort <laughs> yeah it's been we've been without our dogs for nearly a year now and both me and my eldest are like can we get a puppy can we get a puppy and my husband's like dude come on really yeah. <laughs> you're the adult as well can I'm you I'm just waiting for him to settle down and calm yeah. himself down so but yeah that's me and I'm just coming to really uh, I've listened to all of your episodes so far and have got my own lived experience of parental estrangement uh, with my mother so I thought I'd come and have a chat with you today about that. Well, that's brilliant. And I think for me, one of the things that I really wanted to do on this podcast was try and share other people's lived experiences mm-hmm. because I feel like it's such an isolating experience and you kind yeah. of feel like no one else is going through it. I'm Until I heard, heard your initial talking bits and bobs about it. I mean, I followed you when your experience was that you were building the annex mm-hmm. and to then hear that everything went completely sideways for you, I was thinking, okay, well, I didn't think that anybody else was sharing the same experience or a similar experience. And then as soon as the pod came out, I was like, okay, there's other people that are sharing these experiences just like us. So I think it's super important to get that that message out there because you're right in what you said in one of the episodes about it being still very taboo. Mm. It's very much, um, how can you 
how can you make someone in your life disappear who is your biological parent like people don't understand it and there's always a huge backstory and there's always a huge story behind everybody's experiences so I think it's super important there is always a big backstory and I think Mm. one of the biggest misconceptions about estrangement and I know I've said this time and time again is it's kind of just done flippantly or it's done because you've thrown your toys out the pram and you're like I'm gonna cut you off you wake up one morning and go do you know what don't feel like having a mum anymore (laughs) can you imagine it's so bizarre that people think that way because if you look at a breakdown in a relationship with a partner or when you mm-hmm. become distantly to talk about a friendship cycle being about seven mm-hmm. years and that most people stay friends for about seven years and then gently drift into different mm-hmm. phases of their lives because that's what happens. We grow, we change, we develop. Yeah. Our friends get into other things. They change jobs, they move away. All of those are perfectly normal and they're seen mm-hmm. as a part of life, part of a cycle. If you have a breakdown in a relationship with a partner, it's seen as okay, well, they've grown apart, this has happened, this is done, maybe there's been something that's gone on, and it's all accepted. But when Mm. it comes to a parent, it's like, no, she must have just woken up one morning and thought, fuck it, I've had enough, I'm not, no. It's because it's it's the parent title, it's a a title of someone who is your caregiver. Why would you ever break ties and break a relationship with a caregiver? People just can't seem to get their heads around that. I think that's, and that's, that's not on anybody being in ignorant or in anything like that it's an uneducation I think certain things need to be educated a long time ago mental health wasn't discussed because it was taboo and then the more people get educated on it the more people understand about it the more they're like okay actually I want you to hear I want to hear your story now but it's not like that with parental estrangement because not enough people speak about it it is still a taboo subject and so the more people that speak about it, the more that you feel less alone as a person experiencing it, but also others then have that understanding and can give you the empathy or or have that just have a conversation with you about it without having that initial judgment that you don't necessarily want yeah. <laughs> um, because there's no reason for it. There is so much judgment around it. And especially now, I think more and more, and I want to do an episode on this, actually, or I might have done an episode on this by the time this comes <laughs> out. Who knows? But I think the more that we see public figures coming out and talking about it, especially big ones, like we've had recently Mm. Jeanette McCurdy, we've had uh, Prince Harry, Mm -hmm. and we've had um, Britney Spears all talking about toxic family dynamics. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed more and more that the word estrangement is being used in media, but depending on whether or not that public figure is in Mm -hmm. favour, depends on whether or not it's picked up in a positive light as seen as oh they were protecting them themselves from this awful person poor person or mm. they've cut off their family how awful and it, it really depends on how uh, yeah. that person's perceived but I mean ultimately you said about, about sorry more. you said about Jeanette McCurdy mm. her, her whole book title is yes. like, she's glad her mother died yeah and then you have Prince Harry with his title is just spare and it's just hinting at the estrangement side of everything effectively you'd look at those two book titles and think my goodness how could she say that but everyone's absolutely on her side which is warranted yeah but because she's flavor of the month it's it Mm. it's not the same for prince harry because he's disliked by a large amount of the population at the moment but their stories and their experiences are very very similar Mm. and they should both be carried with that level of empathy that comes from having to cut people out of your life it's not an easy decision to make it's never an easy decision to make it's I've, I've likened it a lot to grief I feel mm-hmm. like you're saying goodbye not to the to the mum you had growing up if you had a nice childhood not to the parent that you had who maybe got you through a tough time you're saying you're saying goodbye to that image of that person 
my my biological mum, my mum, I've got a stepmum, so I, I'm I find it tricky of what to entitle someone with. But she's still walking around in the town I live in. But that's not my mum. I've grieved for that mum. The mum that's walking around is not is not her. It's a huge loss. It's not a, a decision that comes like you say. You don't wake up and go. What am I going to do today? I'm really bored. I know what I'll do. I'll just spin my mum off today. <laughs> you don't do that. <laughs> yeah, like, I didn't think I'd get to 30, in my 30s, and not have a mum. Like, I, mm. I never thought that would be the case. And it wasn't a decision that I came to lightly in the slightest. Yeah, and it's that, it's that not having a mum by choice that yeah. I feel is so judged and so heavily criticised mm. because how could you make this choice? So... <laughs> When did you become estranged? I couldn't give you, I was looking at this and I couldn't give you an exact date. I remember, I think it was Helen on her podcast. She couldn't give an exact mm-hmm. date or anything or when she, you know, stopped calling her or, or whatever the, the the dates are. I don't think I can ever pull it down to a date, but I definitely cut ties completely a good few years ago. I was in my thirties, definitely in my thirties. Um, I think I've tried and tried and tried over the last six, seven years to sort of try and see if she'd like a relationship again, which is on me. I It's just because, you know, I feel like benefit of the doubt, just maybe mm. she made a mistake and um, she didn't mean to be how she is. Um, but I think the crux date for me is the 27th of September 2013, which I know is very precise for someone who's yeah. just said there's no precise date. And I know it's that date because that is my daughter's date of birth. Okay, and what happened then? So uh, there's obviously a story leading up to it, but the 27th of September 2013 is the day that um, I had my daughter um, sent my mum a text to say she's born, you know, like a baby's here, this is her name, this is her weight, this is the time she was born, um, and I never got a reply. So I sent a couple more, did you get my message? And her response was um, to say, why have you given her those names? It wasn't a congratulations. It wasn't a well done, proud of you. It was never that anyway, but it was none of that. It was just, why have you given her those names? Um, my daughter's named after my grandma and my uh, her dad's grandma. Um, so my mum would have known that. It was just a way of starting a row. Um, and I'd said, you know, this is why. This, these are their name, the names that we've chosen. And um, she said, well, I want her to call me nanny. And we'd had a previous conversation, many previous conversations about my son not calling her that, because as far as I'm concerned, the title of nanny, if you're going to be sporadically in and out of my children's lives, is a title that needs to be earned. Um, And yes, I said, well, no, we've discussed this, mum, you know, this is a title that needs to be earned. You need to be present in my kids' lives a bit more. And she said, "Um, F off out of my life then. Mm. On the day I had my daughter, I'd had my daughter at quarter to one in the morning and this was a conversation happening at half past nine in the morning. So she wasn't even a day old. And I was like, okay, we're done. (laughs) We're we're done. There's many, many things, experiences leading up to that. This isn't obviously the start of her story, my story, but ultimately that is the end of our story. That started the beginning of the end for me. Um, As I say, I did try from then on to try and, continue a relationship form a new relationship I don't know but ultimately it wasn't it wasn't ever going to be that way she she's um she's not a confirmed alcoholic I don't know how you say that in a medical term she she wouldn't say she's an alcoholic but she is alcohol dependent um 
and a lot of her decisions are made based on on alcohol unfortunately and not her family or her grandchildren Mm. so yeah that's that (laughs) yeah it sounds like a really traumatic experience Mm. to be putting yourself out there to somebody who you already have a really fractured relationship with especially when you're vulnerable because you've just given birth you want Mm -hmm. that it's almost giving them the option to give you giving them the opportunity to give you that response that you needed Mm -hmm. in that moment of well done I'm really proud of you or just to show something that might fit with what you need as the child even though you're an adult yourself no that's your mom isn't it yeah yeah, something that you would need from your mum in that moment and it's just thrown back at you and I think so many people who have tried to offer the olive branch because I I get this why have you not extended the olive branch so many people who have and so many people who do have the same story of it being thrown Mm -hmm. back at them because that person is not getting their own way and you mentioned then that she's had a lot of uh, problems with alcohol Mm -hmm. I'd spoken to um, Helen Rabbit on the podcast before and you've mentioned Helen's episode and Helen grew up with an alcoholic mother Mm -hmm. who was a a confirmed alcoholic who was diagnosed who needed hospitalization yeah and it almost adds an additional layer to that because then it's well you've got you've got this disease and you need to be more empathetic to her struggles but that's not your mm. responsibility as the child of the person no. living this way i mean my mum's i i i keep trying to look back at my childhood and think do i remember her having an issue with alcohol and i honestly i couldn't tell you it's not a conversation i've had with my dad so i wouldn't i wouldn't be able to tell you but i know that this all st- this this whole spiral kind of stemmed from my dad leaving my mum. A very good relationship with my dad. I will just put that out there now. Yeah. I'm a massive massive daddy's girl. I've got an amazing stepmom, so I'm not missing out. I'm not lacking in anything like that. But my dad left and made it very clear that he would still be seeing us, which is exactly what happened. Fifty fifty um, co-parenting worked absolutely perfectly. But when he wasn't there, when we would be with my my mum me I've got a smaller smaller younger sister and brother who are a few years younger than me and and are you the eldest I am okay (laughs) I I speak to a lot of people who are either (laughs) only children or who are the eldest (laughs) yeah and it was and it was the second he left it was the you know then the night that they broke up he'd said he said to her like let's keep this between us while we sort things and let's not tell the children and I could hear them rowing and I remember going to the top of the stairs and being like looking down what's going on and then my dad coming out and me and him going straight to the bathroom on my right and my mum saying he's leaving us he's leaving us now he'd he'd said don't say to the children and she's shouting up the stairs he's leaving us and I thought well he wouldn't it's my dad and he obviously came and explained everything a lot more and he was like that's not what's happening but from that moment I mean within two weeks she was out, out every night we were all school age primary school age when they started to break up I was in secondary school by the time they did and she was out every night we'd have we're on a meter for electric and gas we'd have no hot water no heating I made it really clear when I've been talking about this to other people to therapists and when I spoke to you initially I'm in no way shape or form under the illusion that we were safe we weren't safe and we should have absolutely been in social care or in the care of my dad full time. I don't know why I never spoke to anyone about it. I don't know why I never I told anybody with the situation we were in. 
but we were neglected children and we would have been fully neglected had it not been for me which sounds so stupid big-headed I know it does but no uh, it doesn't you know I was I was a parent at 13 basically I was parenting and looking after two children because she couldn't and my dad wasn't around to do so um my dad has since found out about this and he's obviously not overly impressed that I didn't tell him um any of it but I and I, I couldn't tell you why I couldn't tell you why protection maybe protecting her still my mum I don't know but we were very much neglected children because she was alcohol dependent you know we'd have what do you call the man the provident man used to come to the door every week where she'd have a loan like a doorstop loan and he'd come and knock on the door and I'd have to hide the children we'd have no electric no gas no food I'd be getting them ready for school she'd bring random men home and I'd have to sort of just keep the children away and it was that's not a childhood you've lost out on a whole child so I don't know if there was a a sort of resentment there from a young age for me that I just buried deep deep down which makes me you said about um you know people saying why didn't you try harder why didn't you, you why did you make this rash decision I feel like I really did I feel like I did everything I possibly could to keep that line of relationship open and maybe I look like a bit of a muppet a bit of a mug going I keep trying I keep trying and she keeps saying no based on my whole childhood experience with her really I should have walked away a long time ago yeah. maybe that's the case but I, I didn't and I just I continued on with looking after the children and, and all this sort of stuff and I mean my my ex-husband we weren't ready to move in together he was like we're gonna move we're gonna move in together now because if we don't I don't think you'll ever leave here and I think you're gonna be here forever looking after the two children being her parent almost and he took me away from that. I mean, it didn't stop anything. If anything, it made her resent him because he took her security away. But it, it needed to happen. I mean, two weeks after he took me away, I had a phone call with my sister screaming down the phone that my mama put her hand through the glass door in the front room because she was off her head on alcohol and had thought my sister was stuck in the front room. So she'd gone to just push the door and put her hand through and she cut all of her arm to shreds it was just it was so so many experiences that now if I tell people those things they go my god how were you still even talking to her in your 20s let alone in your 30s and there's this split of people that go okay I get that but your dad had left and you you know she had turned to alcohol you should have taken that into consideration and I'm just thinking but she also had three children she had three children to look after and she didn't do that she didn't do that at all. I didn't have a childhood. I didn't have a teenagehood, if you like. I didn't have any of that. So the fact that I kept going till I was in my 30s seems to me I didn't do too badly, really, considering I probably could have kicked her out of my life a long time ago for the things that I was put through. You didn't do too badly at all. <laughs> in fact, I think you did bloody amazing mm. to keep trying. And it speaks to what an empathetic person <laughs> you are and to what a compassionate person you are and how kind you are that you actually kept trying and kept yeah. reaching forward to I mean, her I don't have any regrets and I don't have a relationship with my brother and sister there's quite a lot of I think hidden resentment from them because I still went on to have two children with my childhood sweetheart I met my ex-husband at um, school when I was seven and we were together 17 years I you know there was a lot of resentment there that I still went on and did those things and they didn't and they don't really have a relationship with me now my sister has a very close relationship with my mum but my brother sort of flips in between we don't have a relationship and so you've not just you've not just removed your mum you've removed 
everybody because they don't get it mm-hmm. and they'll never get it because they weren't put in the position I was put in <clears throat> and so they don't it's not... get it because you protected them from it by the sounds of it yeah it was everything was hidden from them wasn't it that's that was my job that's how I sort of looked at it this is my job I must protect them I must and I knew my dad was going through stuff as well my dad had you know left his wife he'd taken on as far as I'm aware he'd taken on all the debts so that she could live comfortably because he was the one leaving I see pictures of him now I think he took us away and he just looks so thin and poorly and now I find out that he was really depressed at those moments and I must have known that deep down Mm. so what I was doing was trying to just protect everybody (laughs) protect the children because they're children protect myself because I don't want to be taken away and put in another home or have my dad have more pressure on him protecting my dad because I know he's going through stuff protect her because she's obviously got this whole divorce stuff and alcoholism and stuff like that and and it it boils down to protection the whole thing boils down to protection and you, you use the word empathy I think one of my I'm really bad at pointing out my strongest strengths I can tell you all the things that are wrong with me but my strongest strength is probably empathy I have a lot of empathy for everybody for anyone that, that needs it, that, that I think deserves it, that I think has a story to tell. I have a lot of empathy and I want to protect people. I want to make sure people are safe and loved and basically all the things I probably didn't have. Do you think that's the people pleaser in you that wants to give your empathy, maybe at the sacrifice of yourself? Yes, 100%. And I can hear you say it and I can hear me say it, but it's not something I'm ever going to be able... I don't think it's something I'm going to be able to change. Maybe in time it will be a love myself a little better than I currently do. But at the moment, you know, my life is the children and the puppy, annoyingly, (laughs) and and Mm -hmm. just making sure everybody else is is okay, you know? It's funny when I hear you talk about the children, because you've just mentioned the children there talking about your children, Mm -hmm. but that's exactly how you refer to your younger siblings as Mm -hmm. the children. So when you say you became the mum from the age Mm -hmm. of 13, you really did because you even referenced them as the children, children. (laughs) which is how we would refer to our children. children, And that's so common with parentification and parentified children who Mm -hmm. become the adult who step into the adult role and there's so much shame around having a parent who has this alcoholism who has these problems who isn't stepping up and fulfilling the role that they want for whatever reason and then again having this split in the family there's so much shame around it that Mm. as children we naturally step into that role to try and fix it all and you can't fix it all these are adult problems that a little person (laughs) even at 13 a little person is trying to fix and it just doesn't work no I think with my son being 13 now it's something that I really look at and think goodness if I you know did that today he'd have no idea and that's not because you know I parent too much or don't give them the freedom and the the things you're saying they're adult problems these are adult things that need fixing you know I don't know how to put electric on a meter at 13 I don't know how to create hot water at 13 I don't know how to magic food out of thin air at 13 so it's just more of a survival and protection type role that you get put into and I could have on you know I'm sure there are people out there that may have had a very similar experience where that's how it all started for them and they thought no this isn't okay and they spoke up but I and I honestly no every so many people have said to me why didn't you speak up why didn't you say something and I have no idea it's I've the shame no of it. idea it it's probably the is the shame of it it probably is that I mean I was I was being bullied at school never told anybody about that 
um I don't know it is it is or has always been I'll just make sure everybody else is okay and it is detrimental to myself and I'm trying to sort of put myself especially now I've completely cut ties with her I know that it's done and I know that there's no more empty gestures on my part where I'm just holding up that olive branch and going please can we just try and talk um she lost her husband in the last year and he was very much a alcohol dependent influence in her life as well um there was very little point in anyone trying to get through to either of them for that for that part of their lives and once he died I thought my god she must be so lonely and I'm gonna have to reach out because I don't want her to be lonely you know maybe this is the point where she thinks oh my goodness I actually want a relationship with Gemma now turns out that's not that wasn't it so I actually went through my sister I messaged her and said I don't have any of my mum's numbers I have no way of contacting her is there any way that you can get a message to her that I'd like to speak and to just check in and see how she is and things um, and my sister said um, I'm not comfortable with giving you her number but I will ask her for you and within five minutes she came back to me and said she said no hmm. and she was very apologetic my sister she was I'm really sorry I did try and I said that's all I needed I think it was that moment where I thought no, that is all I needed. Because if she dies tomorrow, I've done everything. I can't ever see a moment now where she'll die and I'll go, oh, but I could have tried harder. Mm. She'll she'll go to her grave with regrets. I I won't. Yeah. So, and that's, I think it was Helen again. I keep going back to Helen's because it just resonated so much with me. Her podcast when she said, you know, you had your little conversation about when they die and what do you do and things like that. Mm. I'm very lucky in the sense lucky in the sense that I know that my sister and my brother and my mum's family the small amount that she has contact with um because she has alienated a lot of people from her family too they'll all deal with that I probably won't even know when the funeral is and I don't need to know it wouldn't be something I'd turn up at it I've made my peace with it and I like I said to you before I've grieved I've I've grieved for the loss of the person so if she, if she died tomorrow, I wouldn't grieve for that person because I don't know that person. That's not a person that holds any love in my heart. So there wouldn't be any regret from me whatsoever. And I think that's a really important thing. There's a lot of people out there that have regrets still. Maybe I should have tried harder. People say I should have done this. And I think, you know, you know, when you've tried your hardest, you know, yeah, when yeah. it's becoming detrimental to you and your family and you deserve better and there's a switch there's a moment I don't know when it comes I don't know I couldn't tell you when it came for me but I just know that I know now I've done everything I possibly can yeah and you can make your peace with it then and like you say then you can move into the grieving phase because they talk about the the different stages of grief don't they Mm. I think you definitely have that with estrangement because Mm -hmm. you're not just grieving you're not grieving for the person I think you're grieving for what could have been and what should have been what you Mm -hmm. should have had you're grieving in some ways for yourself for the loss of your childhood for the the realization that this is never going to be what I need it to be Mm -hmm. and I'm gonna have to let it go Mm -hmm. And we can accept that when we talk about spousal relationships. We can accept that when we talk about other kinds of relationships. But people seem to find it very difficult to accept it when it comes to parental relationships. And the thing is, 
you can move on once you've come to that realization, once you've had that moment where this is not going to change. Mm -hmm. This is not going to look the way that I need it to look. You can come from that state of denial where you're going, no, okay, if I just try this, if I extend the olive branch, if I just do this, you can come to that point where you go, right, okay, now I'm I'm done, actually. Mm -hmm. I am done and I'm not going to keep putting myself through this. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I've, yeah okay and then you move into the grief phase of acceptance of saying okay and then you've got your anger there's so much anger around it as yeah. well I find I find anger really difficult really difficult to navigate because I sometimes think you know if I just take the lid off being so angry that this was my experience I'll never stop being angry yeah and you're I, I I don't know you personally but I'm assuming you're not an angry person in general either so it's actually quite frightening I agree I'm not an angry person either and it's quite frightening when you think god if I let that anger in I don't actually know what the sort of person I'm going to become is because that's not who I've ever been but it is there simmering underneath because of your experiences it's terrifying to not know how that's going to present itself yeah it is it's and it's funny that you talk about it simmering beneath because it is simmering beneath we all have anger in us and I talked to a couple of psychotherapists about this um Helen Villas and Katie McKenna they do insight pod which talks about narcissistic parents Mm -hmm. and I'd spoken to them and said about anger and they'd said you know anger's normal it's healthy we all have it but for me it doesn't feel healthy it feels like there's something just there bubbling and every so often it will rear its head if I'm really pushed with something but you feel like you could just keep screaming and screaming and screaming but never ever find the release never ever find the release that's exactly it you've dampened it down for so long that there's now not enough time to get all all the anger out that's what it's but then it presents itself in different ways so I mean, we talk about grief and cutting someone off to the to the point where you have to grieve for their loss. I still don't think you are 100% ever going to be done with that loss because there are still times now I'll be overwhelmed with life in general and I'll think, I could do with a mum cuddle. I could, yeah, and I yeah. never had that. So what am I actually craving here? I, don't ha- I never had a mum that was cuddly. My dad was the cuddly one. So what am I thinking in that moment where I'm going, God, I could do with a mum cuddle right now. I, you never had it in the first place, Gemma. So what on earth are you craving right now? And maybe it's just the fact that I never, ever, ever had that, let alone that I'll never get it now. Um, I went through between um, having my son and my daughter, I lost three babies and she knows nothing about those, nothing, because what would be the point? I wouldn't have got any empathy, any sympathy. She would have just, um, her and my dad lost twins a year after I was born. And I just know, knowing her, how I did or do, it would have just been, oh, well, when I when I lost the twins mm. and I didn't need that. I needed a mum and a mum cuddle. And I was very fortunate that I had my ex-husband's mum was just just stepped into that role and was just fully supportive and understanding my dad my dad's a dad my dad found that all very very difficult he couldn't work out why I kept trying to have another baby (laughs) after I'd gone through such heartache you've got a son why would you need to keep doing it I think that's that's 100% a man thing like a, a dad thing I suppose it's that maternal thing in us that makes us keep keep going after that but yeah I I wouldn't have had anybody because I didn't have a mum. I didn't have a dad who fully understood that side of it. Um, I was just very lucky to have a mother-in-law that really did step up and and fill that role. Because even that, I mean, you should be able to turn to your mum in that situation. You're losing babies. Like, you should be able to call your mum and go, mum, I'm 
not okay but I couldn't do that so it's fight for yourself or hope that someone else fights with you so that's what ended up happening but I don't know I think there comes a lot of resentment when you're going through certain things in your life and you think god I wish I had a mum now so there's never going to fully be a time where you can effectively just cut it off I think the only time which sounds very depressive and low and dark maybe is that the only time I think I'll ever stop going oh I could do with a mum and cuddle or someone to help me in that situation is when she actually dies Hmm. because it's not an option then as much as I can say I've cut ties she's still in my town she's still down the road she still gets on a bus sometimes that I'm on you know there'll only become a time where I don't crave that I suppose when there's nothing to crave Hmm. and she's not there anymore even then I'm not entirely sure you know I know that's, and again, that's probably not not what anybody wants to hear. People are like, God's sake, like, I was hoping, yeah, thanks, love, you're never going to get over it, sorry. Um, I think it's more, you know, when you talk about the mum cuddle and wanting mm. that, even though you never had it, there is an instinct in us as biological beings that we crave that affection, that closeness from our primary caregiver. Mm-hmm. And when they're not capable of giving it, it doesn't mean we crave it any less. It doesn't mean that our brains go, mm, yeah, they're not going to do that. We internalize it and we go, there must be something wrong with us that they can't, they're not giving us that. Mm-hmm. And I know in my experience, I my mum was very affectionate, but then would weaponize it. Okay. So I remember her being brilliant when when I had a miscarriage and then I I'd found that I was pregnant, even though I was on birth control when Edith was about six months old. I wasn't doing very well as it was and chose to have a termination. Mm-hmm. And I remember going through that experience, my mum being very much, I'm so here for you with a side of, but your husband's not just so that she could kind of oh, okay. dig that in there. Okay. But then years later, I remember having a conversation with her and I can't for the life of me remember what it was. And I said something and she'd said, I can't remember how it came about, but I said something that must have really upset her. And I think it was, it was so out of the blue. I remember being so shocked because she turned around, she went, yes, well, you chose to kill your baby, didn't you? And I lost mine. And I just stopped and looked at her and went, Oh, goodness. Where, why would you say that? Where has that come from? And she went, well, you upset me, so I wanted to hurt you. And I went, oh, well, you achieved that then. Yes, thank you. Thank good you. Well done. Good job. It, was, it was when our relationship had really got to its most toxic point. I think we were talking about something to do with parenting. And I'd perhaps said something along the lines of, you know, well, you didn't have that experience because you had me. Mm. And I've got, I've it's difficult to navigate with with all of them. And you wouldn't have done that for me anyway. I'd perhaps very subtly and mm. inadvertently, I have to say, called her out on the way she behaved when I was a child and how she acted when I was a child. And again, I would still have been in that phase where I didn't think my childhood was that bad. <laughs> so I was so shocked yeah. because any time that she would give affection, it would be stored up to be weaponized later. And that that was my experience. Mm. So I don't, and I still, I'm exactly the same. I sometimes will think, God, I really wish I could have a mum hug. Or I kind of miss that phase when I didn't see her for what she was. And I thought we were besties <laughs> and didn't realize that what it was, was enmeshment and a complete engulfing of me as a person because she's narcissistic. Mm. 
I still miss those times and I still think god I wish I could do that even though I knew that they were really damaging I knew or I know know now that they're really damaging and that they were toxic I don't think it ever leaves us because biologically we crave that affection from a caregiver and that's what it is I I mean I, I was listening to that then thinking I wonder actually if I've got anyone in my life that could just give me a cuddle and I'd think actually that'll do <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I don't need the mum maybe I just need a really good cuddle I think I might just after this just start going around and saying do you fancy meeting up I just really need a cuddle yeah just to test all my friends out at this point because maybe maybe it isn't the mum side of the cuddle maybe it's just feeling like you've got someone giving you that hug that means they've got your back that they've got you that they care for you like you didn't have as a young child as a teenager mm-hmm. as a young adult I don't think that need to be cared for ever goes away but maybe it isn't from a mum maybe it isn't from a caregiver at all maybe it's just to feel that you're looked after yeah because that's all I think out of everything I still struggle now to be looked after mm. I've got a, a really very sm- very very small group of friends and each of those has their they're very different but they have their own way of showing me that they care but the second it becomes prominent and obvious I'll I'll go oh no <laughs> because I don't no, wanna, thank you I don't want to seem needy or I don't want to seem like I desperately need your your love but ultimately I I am needy and I desperately need your love so <laughs> Deep <laughs> if, they're down. This, if they're hearing this I really do need your love so please carry on um but yeah I'm I, I struggle with other people helping and I think that that will literally come back to the days where it was just me just me carrying yeah. the family just me making sure everybody else was okay and I think that's going to be a hard one to turn around I'll probably be in my 60s suddenly be like give me all the love I'm okay yes. now but, but right now I'm just not okay with it. yeah I'm just not okay with it I mean I listen to your your side of everything your story with with your mum and I think you're thinking the same thing as me I'm not going to presume you are but it sounds like you're going you know there was there was moments in my childhood that I didn't realize before that were really toxic and and I'm hearing your story and thinking, goodness, if you've realised that back in your teenage years, back in your young, young adulthood, I'm not saying we're, you know, old, but back in your younger adulthood. We are adulthood, a bit though, aren't we? We're getting there. We're, chariot, we're nowhere near 40 yet. And, uh, <laughs> and I just think, imagine if you'd have realised it that early on, would you have walked away? Because I don't know, like... I sit here and think oh Harry you're worth so much more than that conversation you're worth so much more than the toxic childhood and teenagehood that you had I was I was worth and I still am worth more than what I went through Mm. you know there's there's so many experiences we've both had where people looking at from the outside in would go why didn't you walk away sooner there are obviously those that have no clue how it feels to have gone through any of this and still think we shouldn't have done what we've done Mm. but there are going to be people that are like know your worth why didn't you walk away before now I mean going back many years my wedding day my my mum my mum left my wedding day 30 seconds I would say after the speech has ended to go to her local pub and she never came back her her daughter's wedding and I think if someone else was telling me that I'd go why did you still have contact for another 10 years what what went through your mind why would you do that to yourself but when you're in it, like, you know, for well, as well as I do, when you're in it, that's normal life. That is, we've done it for this long. We've plodded along. We're going to continue to plod along. And it doesn't matter because we don't think about the detrimental effect it's going to have to us and our future. Um, I never I never thought I'd be a mum going, 
oh, I hope I'm never like my mum. I never mm. thought I'd be like that. I obviously have a daughter. You, you know, both of us have the younger child is the daughter. And I look at her and think, she's nine now. Nine was the age I started to get bullied at my primary school. I was bullied from nine to 16, so through two schools. Consistently, there wasn't a break in it. Um, and I look at her now and she's so strong and feisty. She's like Edith. <laughs> she, yeah. they're, they're like, I always say, it sounds terrible, but I always say, if I'd had her first, I'm not sure we'd have had a second because, yeah. oh my goodness, <laughs> she's a handful. She's the best handful. She's, she's so spirited and I feel like, you know, she could probably rule the world. She's that sort of child. And I was never like that. And I think, God, I hope she never loses that. But in order for her to never lose that, I have to be better. I have to be such a better parent than my own mum was because maybe I wouldn't have been that shy and retiring, bullied child. Maybe I would have been my daughter at nine if I'd have had that push, that back, that, you know, that backing from my parent. So I constantly say to myself, I can't be like her. I can't be like her. I say things or I'll do things. Oh my God, she used to do that. I know I can't do that. Mm. And is that a way to live? Is that a way that we want to conduct ourselves? Surely, I don't know. I thought maybe I would have the freedom as a parent to be the parent I wanted to be, but actually it's always tainted with don't really want to have any traits that I share with her. It's funny, isn't it? Because we do show up as our parents sometimes. You, you mm-hmm. physically cannot help it. It would be odd if we didn't Mm. but when we do it's terrifying it is terrifying when you had that really negative experience and I did a podcast recently talking about the telephone voice and how we when you are raised by a narcissist you grow up with your telephone voice being your whole voice because you present Mm -hmm. this image of yourself that isn't actually really you Mm -hmm. to try and stay in favor with them And somebody had messaged me and said it really resonated with them because they used to get shouted at a lot for any kind of accent and their parent would be incredibly offended if they had an accent because that was common and you needed to speak properly. That was my upbringing. That was my experience. Anytime I had an accent, it would be, and I still now, if somebody messages me like, oh, you've got such a Yorkshire accent. I'm like, oh, please don't tell me that. (laughs) and there's nothing wrong with that and I have then gone on to say to my kids frequently oh speak properly darling I mean what does that mean speak they are speaking properly but they have a a twang of an accent at times and I've recently realized that I'm doing it and and had to think okay where does that come from Mm -hmm. let's catch it and change it but the difference between our parents and us is that we realize it and then we affect change with it we make the choice because that's Mm -hmm. what it is to look at our behavior and go "Mm, actually is that healthy is that normal or not normal but is that healthy and does that add anything to my parenting is that going to benefit my child in any way no actually that's not ideal that's not how I want to behave Mm -hmm. let's make a repair let's change that let's stop doing that whereas when you are raised by a toxic parent you don't get that you don't get no. that repair. It's a case of, oh, I've hurt you. Tough. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's hard. I hear you say raised by a toxic parent. And I can honestly say I probably look at it now that I wasn't raised by her at all. Like mm. when I think like back about everything, someone will say to me, I mean, I, I have this joke with with some of my closest friends that I'm really funny. I'll say to them, I'm, I am funny, though, aren't I? That's like my best trait. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> that <laughs> dark humor <laughs> yeah I'm like I'm well funny <laughs> my kids will say you're a hoot and I'm like I know and um but I, I I will say to them I get that from my dad I'll say everything like that I was you know one of my closest friends he says to me all the time you're really clever like you're very knowledgeable and I get that from my dad like you, you're very sarcastic I get that from my dad and I, I will say that so often but not because I'm omitting her from anything it's because I genuinely have tried my hardest possibly not to be anything like her her, her drink of favor was vodka and uh, as I've got into my late 30s Harriet late late 30s um <laughs> I am um, I can only drink vodka if I'm on a night out without feeling like death the next day I don't know if it's an age thing wine makes me poorly just you know if I'm I don't drink often but when I go out I'll drink and um that was my mum's drink of choice it took me three years maybe to be going out with friends or you know having celebrations and being able to drink vodka without thinking oh my god am I turning into her is this going to be me now I remember you know tipping tipping vodka out and refilling half of it with, with water just so that she was a little bit more lucid the next day mm. and I didn't want ever to follow in those footsteps there'll be times where one of my closest friends works in partnership with a, a very famous vodka company so I'll get huge huge bottles of vodka and I remember one of my children once saying to me have you drunk all of that so far and just that wave of fear coming over me thinking oh my goodness he thinks I'm an alcoholic. That's <laughs> my <laughs> dramatization. Darling, I'm not an alcoholic. You yeah. know, God, I fancy some wine sometimes, but I don't, I don't drink that much. But there's that, there's that natural fear that you're going to be portrayed in the same way. There's those filters on TikTok that age you up and they're like, this is what you're gonna look like. And then people are like, oh my God, I look like my dad, I look like my mum. And I'm thinking, I don't want to do them. I'm too scared. Yeah. I don't look like my mum. And there's just that level of fear all the time that I'm going to follow in her footsteps in the worst way. Mm. Even down way. to those silly things. Like you say, the TikTok filter. I'll sometimes look at my face and I'll be like, oh, oh fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could see bits of her. God. <laughs> and I, funnily enough, being growing up, my mum would say to me quite often, oh, you look like your dad. Never mind, darling, we'll buy pretty clothes because she hated him so much and it was a bit of a running joke but actually looking back at it now god it was so sinister and so horrible to say to a child but when you do see your parent or you have those scars and you recognize them and you think oh god am I like them or do do I look like that it's really difficult so difficult and it's silly it's just very I mean it's very picky it's very it's just silly, isn't it, saying, oh, I hope I don't look like my mum, because that's just, to me, if someone said that about my children, oh, I hope you don't look like your mum, that'd be really hurtful, mm. but I just feel like you, you you kept your mouth shut for so long, Gemma, you know, there's sometimes, like you were saying um, in one of your podcasts before about that dark humour, if anyone else heard you talking like that, they'd be like, whoa, that's your mum, you need to yeah. calm yourself down, watch what you're saying, but if you've lived through this stuff, if you've, if you've, grown up in a toxic household in any experience in, in I mean I, I don't know if they're going to be other people who haven't there probably will be you know that I didn't think there'd be anybody else with an alcoholic parent that they had cut off from their lives until they listened to Helen's podcast um episode and so there might be someone out there who's done exactly the same thing as me whose parents split and they took on the role of caregiver to their siblings and struggled through and there might be someone else out there but ultimately unless you've lived that unless you've lived that s- serious toxic childhood 
I don't think you have the right or the understanding or empathy to turn around and say, mm, that's a bit dark. That humor's a bit dark. Yeah. You probably shouldn't yeah. say that about your mum. Well, you know, I could come back and say, well, she probably shouldn't have neglected me and my siblings. But, you know, you know, swings and roundabouts. <laughs> you can't, I just can't. I don't think you can have an opinion on it. Freedom of speech, I'm here for it. But I don't think you can have a serious opinion on something that you don't have any understanding or experience in. These these yeah. podcasts are so important because not only do they tell people like me that I'm not on my own, I just I just remember sitting there listening to Helen's podcast going, oh, my God, this is me. Like this woman is living my life and just being so overwhelmed with there, there was someone else out there that had lived such a such a close related experience to me that I although I hope no one else ever lived my experience I also do a little bit because and I hope they hear this because then they've had that same experience I want someone else to be going to their screaming at their phone going oh my goodness Jenna's experience is just like mine I'm not on my own and then I hope anyone else who hasn't had that experience and who hasn't lived through anything like this takes away from this podcast that these things are happening and so to cut a parent off is not it's not done lightly it's not done overnight it's not done because you're bored <laughs> it's not done because yeah. you've got no plans for Thursday it's not like that it's done after years and years of fighting through the toxicity fighting through the negativity fighting through the fact that that parent really doesn't want to change quite clearly doesn't want to change and then having to make a decision that is going to affect your family you for the rest of your life this isn't going to be something that ever goes away regardless of how much you think you've cut that tie it's never going to go away this isn't a decision made lightly and I think it's the biggest message that comes out of a podcast like this is that if you think it did come lightly you need to <laughs> listen to these again and again to understand that absolutely isn't the case yeah very much so did you actually you mentioned there about impacting your family did you have an did you did your children have much contact with your mum at any point uh, my son did for the first maybe four or five years of his life but it was very sporadic so she would come in and go out and come in and go out of his life um quite a lot like it, it wouldn't be he she would leave it so long that he wouldn't remember her I'd show him pictures and say who's this and he'd be like no oh, no um to the extent that I would be saying that's nanny that's that's your nanny and he mm. no nothing um and so it got to the stage where I'd say that's mummy's mummy isn't it do you remember that's my mummy that's mummy's mummy and he'd go mummy's mummy and then she'd come and he'd go mummy's mummy and she'd be like why is he calling me that and I'm like well how else do you explain to a five six year old that this person he doesn't recognize is coming in and and that's his nanny because his nanny is the woman that's been there at his birth you know his my my um, ex-husband's mum that's that's his nanny that's the nanny that that showed up that proved what a nanny should be that, that earned that title that's his nanny so if I then this woman turns up and I say that's your nanny he's gonna be no it's not I don't know who this woman is so it was just easy to say that's mummy's mummy and she hated that she would ask constantly it would be a cycle it would be turning up mummy's mummy a few weeks in can you call me nanny no you have to earn that disappear again because she wasn't happy with that answer come back mummy's mummy and it would go round and round and round until the day my daughter was born and she she knew that I was never going to allow that that's a, that's an earned title she's my mum that's her title she's the lady who gave birth to me that's her title 
she earned the title of mum or birth mum, biological mum, whatever the, the title would be, because she gave birth to me. However, that title is now not part of my life because that title ended when she stopped being a mum, when she stopped being able to care for me. So I was never going to let my children get used to calling her nanny when nanny meant something so completely different to her, to, to what she was. And does your eldest have any memories of her or any experiences? Not one. He's 13 now, so not one memory. I saw her a year and a half ago on a bus while I was with my children. And I remember just whacking my son and going, that's my mum over there. Because he's obviously (laughs) an age where he does understand. Um, Both of them, I don't hide things from. They've literally asked me this morning, um, are we allowed to, allowed to listen to the podcast episode? And I was like, yeah, that's absolutely fine because they know all of this anyway. But he'll say things like, are you okay? Do you want to get off the bus? And I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. Because I went through a stage of I didn't want her seeing them, even in passing in the street, because you didn't earn any right to see them. And then there was, there was a day all of a sudden where we saw her and I was just like, no, we'll get off the bus when we're getting off the bus. And if she sees you, she sees what she's missing. Mm-hmm. I'm not missing out. You're not missing out. She's missing out. So... He has no recollection of her, no recollection of anything. I mean, there wasn't much she did really to make him remember anything. There's no huge experiences he had with her. My daughter is obviously a lot younger. She's never had one meeting with her, never seen her ever, because obviously we cut ties on the day she was born nine years ago, nine and a half years ago. Um, She just says, we don't talk to your mummy, do we? And I say, no. She says, that's because she's not a nice person, isn't it? And that's that in a whole in a nutshell is exactly what I need them to know you know if there's anything I will never lie I'll never if they ask a question I'll never I'll never lie but ultimately the basis of it is yes she's not a nice person she's not what we need in our lives so there's something to be said for (laughs) being open and honest with them and Mm -hmm. saying to them in its simplest form she's not somebody that we need in our lives because of her behavior and how she Mm -hmm. treats us because I think there's real power in explaining to children that just because you love someone or just Mm -hmm. because you've had a blood tie with them or any kind of relationship tie Mm -hmm. with them does not mean that they have a right to treat you in a way that crosses your boundaries or that treats you poorly They, they don't nobody has that right absolutely no no I mean you know you could you could be the closest to family and make a huge mistake that cuts those ties it it doesn't give you fast track access to our lives it doesn't it doesn't enable you to go well well I'm their grandmother I'm the paternal or maternal grandmother that's that's not how this works and I don't know if it's more I mean your, your whole podcast surrounds itself around not only parental estrangement but also in the digital age mm-hmm. and we are in a situation you've got a team as well they have phones now it turns out that they know a lot more than we think they do and <laughs> I, I'm terrified as it is so when they've got access to social media and they've got access to messages and things like this you don't know what's going to be said and that they're going to have to come to you one day and say, why didn't you tell me that? Mm. So instead of that becoming the day, I want to be open and honest with them and also give them that knowledge that, you know, we all may have blood ties. We, we may be your parents, but we, we need to continue to try and be your parents. We don't just say, well, I gave birth to you. Therefore, I have a fast track to the rest of your life. You know, if I mess up, you call me out on that and we'll sort that out. I'm not going to say, well, I can do that because I'm your mother. That's that's not the life we're going to have and unfortunately that was the life I had so 
I don't want to repeat that. Yeah. And I get that quite a lot where people will say to you, oh, wait until your children cut you mm-hmm. off. And I'm like, mm, they, they won't. They won't. <laughs> they won't because I'm, I'm going to do better. <laughs> yeah. And because if I do mess up, I'm willing to be accountable for that and make a change. That's the difference. I'd be willing to address my behavior that had caused them harm. I would validate their feelings. Yeah, you know, I frequently will say to Ruben, and this particular week has been really hard with Ruben, he's my eldest, because he's been really hormonal. He's been feeling very agitated and frustrated for no apparent reason. Mm. We've talked about it and said to him, you know, what what's going on for you? And then he'll say to me, you're making me really angry now because you're doing this. I said, and that's perfectly okay. Doesn't change the outcome. You still got to do your homework, my guy. But I get how you're feeling. Mm. And he'll say to me, will you stop talking to me like that? And I'll say, okay, how I'm getting cross with you. I apologize for raising my voice. I am feeling frustrated now as well. So you can understand where I'm coming Mm. from. Let's sit down and talk about this. And yeah, sometimes it takes a lot longer. And I'm not saying we do it every time because sometimes you're just like, I have got other shit to do. Do your homework. (laughs) Shut up and get on with your homework. Do your bloody homework. (laughs) That's normal. But it's in actually sitting and meeting each other and having those conversations of mutual respect. And no, you're not going to sit down with a two-year-old and be like, right, darling, I am feeling frustration and I understand you are too. Because that's not reality. But you can verbalize your emotions and say look I'm uh, it's okay that you're really cross right now I'm getting cross right now I'm going to walk away for a minute and come back and we'll talk about it even at the smallest of ages you can still verbalize those feelings and help them to understand where you're coming from and that's what I didn't have growing Mm -hmm. up that's what you didn't have growing up it's that accountability do you think that is indicative of a digital age or in the generation that we're currently in because I'm thinking about it I don't remember you I do the same as you you know I get how you're feeling um my son especially is very he's very in touch with his emotions and hormones so he'll say to me I am feeling very frustrated and I don't know why so what I'm going to do is put it down to hormones mummy I think I'm probably (laughs) just hormonal and I'm like aces get to your room have a minute come back when you're done um but I don't remember anyone um caregiver wise grandparents parents at the teenager's age having conversations like that with me and I wonder if that is something that has evolved over generations so we don't necessarily put it down to neglect or like I do where where my parents just didn't ever have that conversation with me maybe it just wasn't the done thing we're in an age now where mental health and emotions feelings they're all becoming a bit more prevalent and you're getting a bit more educated on it now because of the digital age that we're in so I wonder if we like that as parents not only because we didn't have it as children but also because it's able to be discussed a lot more now in the generation and the digital age that we're in yeah I think it is and I think I mean if emotions were discussed when I was a child it was almost like they were a a mocked thing like Mm -hmm. they were a weakness (laughs) you wouldn't turn around to your parents and say I'm feeling really frustrated mummy they'd be like stop talking silly yeah my mum used to say yeah my mum used to say to me if I'd say I'm just really stressed what have you got to be stressed for I'm like I don't know maybe because you're a fucking twat that's what I've got to be stressed for like I don't know what do you want from me I should probably edit that out (laughs) I don't know what like how do you say to a how do you say to a child what have you got to be stressed for because 
you might feel like they haven't got anything to be stressed for, but their stress is just because they're different to yours doesn't mean that they're not valid. Children mm-hmm. can feel stress, children can feel frustration, children can feel anger, and all of those things are valid. But when we were growing up, it was very much a case of children should be seen, not heard. Uh-huh. Children should be, they don't have feelings, they don't have needs. I mean, up until maybe in the last 50 years, we didn't even acknowledge from a psychology point of view that children had needs actual needs emotional needs we Mm -hmm. just were like they're just there (laughs) (laughs) they're just there yeah just just, they'll be fine they're just children it's all fine what have they got and I think that what have they got to worry about that is a huge generational change isn't it because now I think well personally I'm so much more aware of children's mental health I mean I've come from a um my both my parents were in school jobs so my my father is um still is uh like a welfare officer of a school um my mum was um what they call a catering assistant a dinner lady uh she's a dinner lady she's not anymore she she lost her job based on um her behavior right um I also have come from a, a school background as well up until last year um, I worked I worked with uh, special needs children in schools as well and honestly what I've taken from my time only three years in school background really but I've taken from that is that that children's mental health is still so lacking especially in schools um, there's not an, enough of it. I mean there was none of it when we were growing up there was there was no talk of it because like you say that thing you just said about well they're just children what they got to worry about we're still struggling to get help for adults in this country the 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 level of help for mental health in adults is still lacking, in my opinion. Um, so I'm then very aware now that my children have mental health needs as well, because I didn't have that. And I'm aware that I should have had that. We all should have had that. And I think if anything has come from this, it's the fact that no, children won't just be children. It's not they're just children. What have they got to worry about? It's not that. It's life is hard. And yeah, it's great that they find this out early on, but they also need to be given the tools to then evolve from that, learn from that and give that to then the next generation that they may have, that they may go on to have. Because I definitely didn't have anyone listen to my feelings, which is probably it goes back to why didn't you tell your dad what was going on? Why didn't you tell the school you were being bullied? Probably because I knew there would be no help. Mm, there wouldn't be. I mean, my dad. Level. Yeah, my dad was going through his own mental health stuff. I wouldn't have put that on him. You know, subconsciously, you know, there's not going to be the help you need and you're just going to pile on more pressure to people that don't necessarily have the tools to deal with it. So you just get on with it. And that's definitely what I don't want for my children. I want to break that. I want to break that generational trauma of not having anyone that listens, not having that parental figure that that can get you through even the smallest amount of stress and doesn't just dismiss it as, oh, it's just, it'll be fine. You're a child. What have you got to be stressed about? I don't want that for my children. And in saying that, I didn't even have that conversation with my mum as a child. I keep sitting here trying to think of experiences where I felt affection or I felt support. I couldn't give you one example, not one. Is that really what I want for my children? Absolutely not. I want them to feel like I was always there. You know, no, I didn't have a lot of money, <laughs> but, but I had love in abundance and support in abundance. And that's, mm. you know, I didn't have anything growing up and I don't want them to to have that. Do you feel when you look back at it and I this is so common with parentified children, 
that you didn't have the love, the affection, and mm-hmm. the you don't you can't name one instance where you were given that care. Mm-hmm. But can you name several where you gave it to her? Yes. Yeah. Because you yeah. took on the role of being the yeah. parent and being the adult. And that's what we have with parentified children. Mm-hmm. And it's so difficult because you then become the parent mm-hmm. for your caregiver, whether There's it be emotionally a, or physically. Uh Kelly Clarkson song because of you. Yeah. Um, and it used to be on my, Kelly Clarkson's one of my all-time favorite humans um and they that song I used to I used to love that song and then all of a sudden one day there's um toward the end of the song I think she says something along the lines of I'm gonna get this wrong now but she said something along the lines of I was so young you should have known better than to to lean on me Mm. and I can I now since since hearing those words and going oh no I no I can't listen to this song anymore because that is it in, in its entirety is I'm 13 years old 14 years old, 15 years old, doesn't matter what age, I'm a child and you should have known better than to choose to fall apart yourself and neglect your children. And I just had to do what I had to do, but I never should have had to do it. I never should have had to do that. I never should have lost an entire childhood because she chose alcohol or she chose to disappear basically to to become the child mm-hmm. and that that's that's not fair and I hate saying that I'm, I I say this a lot at the moment and it's dry I'm driving myself mad with it but I I keep saying it's not fair that's not fair because it's not and I hate saying it because it's such a broad sentence to say but it isn't what she did was not fair and I've given her more than enough chances to I was gonna, it's not even an apology that's needed it's just an understanding Jesus to validate Gemma. you yeah Jesus Gemma I saw what you did there god I know my kids would have been taken away if it hadn't been for you you know anything like that but it, my dad always says don't assume people are gonna do things based on what you would do mm. so that would be what I would do if I'm in the wrong and I know I'm in the wrong I'll say look I'm so sorry like I will apologize I'm not afraid of apology I'm not afraid of understanding that I've gone wrong and learning from that and um, my dad's right you know you shouldn't assume that everyone's going to think the same way that you do because you're you're going to be waiting forever do you, do you think you're ever going to get an apology from your mother based on her behavior oh god no no my mum thinks that I'm in the wrong and that I'm the bad guy and even down to my dad's family you know they still and I've mentioned before on the podcast getting messages from his adopted daughter they feel that I'm either lumped in with my mum or I'm just totally misguided when I talk about his behavior. So, you know, no, absolutely not. Not a single adult. When my dad's still alive, he would still refuse to be accountable. His wife would refuse to be accountable. And so would my mum. Not a single adult in my life would ever have been accountable. And I think, or apologized, or even just validated how I felt. You know, I'm sorry that that was the way that you that was the way that you felt during that experience, that that was how I made you feel. It wasn't my intention. And I am sad that that's how our behaviors made you feel. That's validation. But it would be, Mm. oh, I'm sorry you felt that way, but you got it wrong. (laughs) It's not even the words. I'm sorry. It's now I say to my children all the time when they say, like, I'm sorry, I'm like, I don't need to hear it. What I need to do is see it. I need to see yeah. your sorry. I need to see that changed behavior based on what you know you've done that isn't okay, that isn't acceptable. And I think coming to terms with the fact you're never going to get that validation, you're never going to get any form of an apology or acceptance from that other person is probably the biggest hurdle in all of this. 
because you feel like you're entitled. I feel like I'm entitled to an apology or entitled to at least have validation over what I went through, but I'm never going to get that. So that is one of the biggest hurdles that you have to jump through is, is knowing that that's never, that's never going to happen. Yeah. And it's that healthy entitlement, that healthy recognition of what you do deserve. It's like Mm. you're entitled to be paid at work. You're entitled to have people respect your boundaries. Mm. You're entitled to have that validation and Mm -hmm. that changed behavior and apology for how you were treated, but you're never going to get it. Do you think you've come to terms with the fact you're never going to get it? Yeah, I think so. For the most part. I think so for the most part, because I do you still feel like you're entitled to it? Oh yeah. Yes, I, I also, in the same way, I also don't. I also don't really want it because it won't change anything. I'm never going to be uh, accepting of my mum being in my life at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I've know too much of her behaviours and of the patterns. It's just not going to be a position that I'm going to put myself or my children in. So at this point, I'm not even sure that I particularly want it. I've made my peace with that's how my childhood and my adulthood was. I don't yeah. need anything else from that. I, th- I think a lot of it is self-validation. Yes. I think a lot of it is, actually, no, I know what I did. I know I did okay. I know I wasn't in the wrong with me. Obviously, in my experience, I know I looked after those children and kept them safe and, you know, made sure that we weren't removed from the home. We weren't taken into care. I know I did everything I possibly could to keep that family together and, I know that it's not affected me in the sense that I'm a, a bad parent for it or a bad person for it. I, I take what I've done and I know what I've done to be the right thing at that time for me and my family. And I know now that what I do for my children now, I know I'm a damn good mum. And I, I think I don't have a lot of confidence in myself. I don't have a lot of confidence in my abilities. I'm constantly getting told by close friends, you can do this. You've got this. You know, even the podcast today, you said mm. to me, do you want to just be read out anonymously or do you want to come on the pod? And I was thinking, OK, but hang on a minute. Do I, can I do it? <laughs> oh, and, I, and I'll sort of think I can't do it. And the one thing I have the most confidence in in my entire life is that I'm a damn good mum. And that is based on knowing what damn crap mum looks like and knowing that that's not me and that's never going to be me I'd I'd use my last breath to make sure I'm being the best mum I could be and if I take nothing else away from my life if I don't end up with you know a career in writing or photography or anything else I dream of doing I know that I'm a good mum and I know that I can go to my grave knowing that but she can't so maybe that's the self-validation I needed rather than having it from somebody else thank you so much for coming and talking (laughs) to me today honestly it's been so insightful and I I have every faith that just hearing these stories of lived experiences Mm -hmm. is going to be helpful for other people and help them know that they are not alone because no matter what you think you are never alone in your own experience mm, they might absolutely. all look slightly different we might all have different takes on them each experience might be unique but you're never alone in it you're never the only person that's experienced that feeling mm-hmm. that emotion and I'm really grateful to you for sharing your experience thank you do you want to let people know where they can find you yes I can do that's okay. throwing me for a second there um so I am Rose and Honey Photography on Instagram I'm 
just trying to get the photography out there, Harriet. There's no writing at the moment. Uh, I'm still trying to jump that hurdle after stopping for so long, but photography is very much my passion at the moment. So Rose and Honey Photography on Instagram. Amazing. And I will link that up in the bio so that anybody who wants to go and have a look or who is in need of some photography at the minute can Mm. come and find you and check you out. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being on here. And thank you for listening, guys. I'll be back again next week with another episode of Unfollowing Mum. I've been Harriet Shearsmith and together we are Unfollowing Mum. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.